Great. Well, it's, yeah, it's Tuesday, 7pm. Um, it's a topic that we've covered before, uh, the European Super League, probably in the context more of Champions League reform, but it's the only uh, only topic in in town today. We thought Dan and I would, uh, Dan very much on the on the legal side, covering all the, the developments there, and that there are going to be a lot of developments, I'd have thought, over the next, not just days, weeks, but probably months, and, and who knows beyond that. Um and, and having worked with with leagues before, um, both startup leagues, um, but also uh, very established European leagues, um, I've got a bit of perspective on on how such a competition might work, how it might, uh, what some of the ownership groups might be thinking about, uh, and where some of the commercial and sporting pitfalls might lie for, for those leagues. So, looking forward to, to a good conversation. As ever, if you want to get involved, please do. Uh, raise your hand, uh, ask any questions of us and um, based on some of the experiences that we've had in the industry. But um, to start with, Dan, how, I mean, how legal is all this as a, as a starting point? Yeah, I, yeah, where to begin? So I think that there's, there's various legalities of, um, of, of various different elements. So even, you know, we were talking in prep for this, there's an announcement on the BBC website relatively recently that the ESL as an entity or particular clubs, I think it's ESL as the entity, had um, had had made a preemptive step in um, going to the Madrid court to prohibit UEFA and FIFA from potentially banning their players and them as clubs from um, from European, I guess, Champions League and Europa League, and then. Uh, potentially for international um, UEFA and FIFA uh, national team competitions. So if we break it down, um, and my experience is more in the Premier League, obviously, as well, um, that there is a Premier League regulation uh, where Premier League consent is required in order for a member team to be able to play in a non-designated um, tournament. And this obviously would, would fall within that category. Um at the UEFA level, there's obviously prohibitions from starting new breakaway leagues. Um, same on the FIFA side. And then in terms of on the player contract side as well, there's, there's obviously queries around, again, the Premier League provisions around the obligations of clubs to adhere to rules like the FA rules and FIFA rules and Premier League rules, etc., um, which leaves caveats around the whole player employment contract side of things so you know things are moving pretty quickly um like i've I've said to quite a few people including yourself and i'm sure you'd have said similar in the day is you know at the moment it's almost like these chess pieces are trying to be moved into place for various reasons you know in the past uh we'd had obviously lots of examples where clubs had wanted more games more money more control and then more games more money and control in sort of those different cycles as they were um uh this feels different for all the obvious reasons that a lot of bridges have been burned at the ECA and uh UA for Exco um Agnelli and Serafin who previously supposedly had a, a very strong family relationship seems like that's um gone down the drain in no uncertain terms um, and then the clubs have come out obviously on Sunday night with those announcements so my question back to you Omar and I think this is um, you know you, you came up with some really insightful stuff on LinkedIn and I, I really liked thinking outside the box as usual which is you know what do you 
it's very simply, but is a very difficult answer to give, is what, what do you think the clubs are actually thinking? Yeah, so as you say, it's been rumbling along for a long period of time. Um, the, the These clubs are massive. I don't think we should make any, um, be under any illusions about that. Um, they have the biggest fan bases, and that's not just kind of the you know finger in the air, Man United having a billion fans or whatever it is. They these clubs know that they have big fan bases, not just from their social media following, but from the fact that if you look at um, the the amount of viewership that these clubs get in, in some of the competitions that they play in, um, it's massive. And it, it way dwarfs um, the matches that involve the smaller teams in the competition. Uh, and the, the owners of these clubs know that. Um, they know that they're, they're hugely popular. And so they're going, well, if I'm, uh, you know, if I'm the owner of Manchester United, the owner of Liverpool, um, if you think about the, the total pot of Premier League money, so you know, four billion television rights deal um, international overseas, they're thinking, well, how much of that four billion is down to Man United and Liverpool, and how much of it is down to Southampton, Burnley, and, and Brighton? And they're probably thinking, well, actually, if you look at how popular our teams are, we probably account for more than three billion, if not. You know, very close to almost all of the four billion of, of that um, money, um, and in truth, that's not a world away from the truth. Um, and, and one way you can look at this is to look at the commercial revenues of these clubs, which is again another proxy for how popular they are and essentially how much value they have in the marketplace. Because commercial money is essentially a free market. You know, broadcast money is distributed by a league. Match day money is kind of restricted by the size of the stadium and. And, and, you know, it's limited. Commercial money is a, is a bit of a free market. And if you look at commercial revenues in the, in the Premier League, again, these big clubs account for a huge chunk of it, it's even more so in, in Italy and, um, and Spain. So they're thinking, well, we can get this TV deal um, that we've got in the Premier League, in La Liga, in, in Serie A, which at the moment we account for 80 90% of the value, or whatever it is, but we're only getting let's call it 40, 50% of it. Um, so why don't we get, you know, 80, 90% of it or uh, get, you know, 60, 70% of it and redistribute some of that um, to the rest of football and, and uh, essentially have, in their minds, I suppose, a fairer distribution of, of the money. So that's the kind of logical argument. The, the big question and uh, I suppose the big, uh, the big topic is the degree to which these clubs are able to port that value to another competition. Um, the degree to which fans actually place value on these clubs, not just in brands in of themselves, but brands playing within the Champions League, playing within La Liga, playing within the Premier League. How much does that context matter? Uh, and I think what we've seen over over the last two days from fans is that that matters a lot and it looks like um, the the clubs are potentially um, potentially undervalued that aspect of, of the value that they bring I only wanted to give you a quick breaking news Dan because I know you're big on breaking news but Man City have now choked as well so there you go one for you two to carry on discussing Thank you. Well, you know, this, this, is, uh, this is history uh, as it's happening live on the Dan and Omar show. Um, Absolutely, yeah. 
Omar, can I then just continue? Th- thanks for that, Adam. I think because I mean, obviously, there's quite a lot going on very um, quickly here. Omar, just from your perspective on that sort of potential over assumption, because we were talking a little bit about this beforehand. About I know we're going to go off in lots of different angles, but the J.P. Morgan funding, you know, be that at the three and a half billion, four billion figure, that's effectively debt that these 12 clubs, maybe not 12 anymore, 10, um, are, are taking on um, with a yearly payback of uh, must be 200, 300 million euros with, with some interest rates, whatever those interest rates might be or, or may not be, but let's just call them three, four, five percent easily. Um, do, do you think anyone outside the clubs have actually sort of considered that, um, you know, these commercial and broadcasting assumptions are quite bullshit. And I think it certainly feels like it from the outside. And ultimately, it all comes back to are the broadcasters going to pay to have this product on television? And the broadcasters will only do that if the fans are going to pay to to watch these games on TV. and And, you know, and similarly, you know, the sponsors are only going to pay the broadcasters to have their adverts and, and be associated with the competition if they know the fans are going to watch the competition. And so you're absolutely right that it feels it feels quite punchy to have, um, you know, that JP Morgan underwriting it by, by three and a half billion or whatever the, the value was, um, because they're going to have to get that money from a broadcaster somewhere in order to pay off that significant amount of debt. And a couple of the broadcasters... Have come out so BT um, in the UK. I think Amazon broadcasts the Champions League potentially in other markets as well. Um, I have to be corrected on that. Uh, but they both come out and said, um, you know, we've we've no interest or we've not spoken to, to these clubs about a European Super League. Now clearly they've got a vested interest because they don't want to devalue the the Champions League, um, you know, which they've paid a lot of money for. Um, so they, um, you know, they're, they're very keen on on the Champions League retaining its status and at the top of world football. Um, but then you begin to think, well, where, where are these broadcasters coming from? Uh, you know, are, are Sky going to do that? Well, Sky hugely committed to the Premier League, have been, you know, since its inauguration. Um, you know, Sky in many ways are the Premier League. Um, they're not going to want to see their product devalued if, um, if these clubs are playing in a, in a Super League and resting players within the Premier League. So you can rule out them and, and they're obviously only a big player within... Uh, within the UK and certain um, certain European territories, so who who is who is this broadcaster? You know, it's is it going to come from a from a Facebook, a, a, a Netflix, or whoever who have never you know shown it uh, this kind of appetite for for sports property before? So it does feel like an enormous gamble from the outside, um, and yeah, it's it, you know I suppose only they know. I mean, I was thinking on that front, Omar, that um, what, you know, we've talked about this at different times of, um, you know, the next frontier of OTT and subscription services and direct to customer and all of that type of thing. This felt like that opportunity where there would be some type of, I I, I feel, sort of OTT offering where you're, you're cutting out broadcasters, you know, as much as Sky and BT are you know are aligned with the the current rights holders to a degree i I think that's right but at the same time you know those assumptions i was seeing from the ft piece that i think you you tweeted um a little bit earlier this afternoon with a 
with a very impressively quickly assembled um, spreadsheet um, based on, you know, varying elements. But one being the assumption that they they thought they were going to bring in four billion euros per season. I presume a lot of that would would be the broadcasting streaming deal with obviously the commercial partners linked into that. Um, my my feeling is that that would um, that would probably be more likely to be an OTT offering rather than a traditional B two B deal that would be that would be struck. Um, because obviously, as you said, a lot of broadcasters are aligned with the current domestic and uh, international club and um, uh, inter- international national game structure. So, for example, on the same point where everyone's saying good on PSG for uh, not agreeing to go inside the the 12 team, whatever it might be, 10 team um, tent. But when when you look a little bit deeper, I guess, and this obviously is where the geopolitical angles all spring to mind, is that um, Al Khalafi is, um, I, I believe, the, the head or very close to the head of Be Engaged, as, uh, be, be in um, uh, the, the broadcaster, um, who obviously have very strong relationships with UEFA for Champions League and for uh, with FIFA for World Cup related stuff. And the event is going to be in Qatar in less than 18 months time. So, you know, without casting aspersions, everybody's self-interest works in their own self-interest. Um so I think you know that that's always just something to ponder as well, um, being inside or outside of this sort of super intent. Yeah, yeah, I think um, on the, the kind of direct to, to consumer piece. Well, firstly, you're absolutely right. There's a lot of self interest. I think that every, almost everything you see in, in football is is governed by self interest. Um, we're, we're working with a few leagues at the moment, and I, I think the clubs recognise that they need to think beyond self interest, but in, in principle is easy to do and practice is much harder uh, I think in the, the direct to consumer play that um, that you mentioned um, is, is clearly something to think about I think there was a, a statement released or some kind of source that came out or one of the kind of documents that's been leaked that intimates that they were looking at a new way of broadcasting um, and, and it is an interesting thing to think about because I think the owners of these clubs at the moment look at Look at how big their brands are. So if you, I don't know, if you compare how often Real Madrid is searched on on Google compared to how often Apple is searched on Google, um, the difference isn't that big. You know, they're, they're huge. They're huge globally recognised brands. But if you look at the difference in revenues, I, I think Apple's got something like three hundred times greater revenues than than Real Madrid. So these, the, what their owners are saying or, or are seeing is that they've got massive brands, but they're not able to monetize it, and so. What, what are the reasons they've not been able to monetize it? Um, and one of the arguments, I read a really interesting piece, it was by Unofficial um, Podcast, I think they're called. They, they do a really good um, podcast on, on sport business, um, certainly better than this one, um, or certainly better than my, my account on this one. Oh, Mark, how, how dare you? <laughs> <laughs> um, and, uh, they, but they, they do a really good piece around um, the reason a TikTok has... Yeah, TikTok's got God knows how many followers, but it's not that different to what Man United claim and whatever. The reason TikTok have a valuation of several several billion uh, and Man United not is because TikTok have ownership of the the customer. Uh, Man United, when they sell their rights, are selling it through the Premier League, through UEFA, um, to a third party like a Sky or a BT, whoever. They don't have a direct relationship with the consumer. 
Um, and the re- the way you get these massive valuations on businesses is um, by having that access to the data and having that uh, direct relationship with the with the consumer who can then be sold to in how many other ways. And it's a it's a pretty grim uh, re- kind of interpretation, I suppose, of of um, what's going on and, and what clubs might be thinking about. Um, but you know, if you are selling. If you are selling your rights direct to consumers and suddenly, you know, if Man United really do have four, five, six hundred million billion fans around around the world, then suddenly they're able to acquire a date on those fans because they're signing up to, to watch and paying to watch Man United uh, matches. So, again, it, just to, you know, provide context around the thinking, there's a lot of discussion around this is greed and it is um, or it can, it can be described as such, but it, it isn't necessarily so. It is greed under the assumption that fans will follow these clubs, um, you know, post post Super League, uh, because it's ultimately the fans who, who foot the bill for uh, for the club's revenue. So th- that's, I think, what the clubs are thinking about, um, and that's what you know they're they're the kind of, that's why they're they're obviously sure in their beliefs, or, or at least they were up until about an hour ago, a couple of them. Um, but that's what they're that's what they're gunning for. Um, the, que- the question back to you, Dan, is, you know, if, if they are sure in their beliefs, what are the things beyond their control um, that, you know, that they that they're at risk at? And the most obvious one that seems to me is, is you know, for example, in the Premier League, the clubs voting out those clubs from the league, which would potentially put them at even greater risk in, in a Super League scenario. Um, Omar, I think it's totally um, uh, cause and effect. Um, basically, our show starting at seven o'clock, but within 20 minutes, um, it appears now that Atletico Madrid are also leaving um, the ESL. So down from 12 to nine in the space of uh, in the space of 20 minutes, you'll be pleased to know. So, uh, but on 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 that point altogether, I I agree. I mean, I think the the, the interesting caveat on all of this is everyone's using leverage. Um, in order to try and provide the the most leverage, um, but everybody knows that they need each other. So I, I know I'm saying a very obvious thing, but the EPL has to threaten that its rules give the ability to be able to um, expel or not consent to another competition. But they know they need the top six. UEFA know um, that for Champions League competition, they need the clubs. But the only way to show that they need the clubs is potentially to expel them and ban them from the Champions League and Europa League from this season. In the same way that they know that the only way to leverage their position as um, a governing body and an organiser of international tournaments is to to leverage their position to say those clubs' players can't play in our competition, even though they know they need those clubs' players playing in that competition. Um, in the same way that FIFA um, for World Cup, but also for the transfer system. Um, we talked about it before, but I think there has to be a real risk that the transfer system doesn't work this summer. I know maybe I'm going off on a slight tangent, but um, FIFA and the national associations are the ones that are issuing transfer international transferring certificates and registering players at the national level. So what, what happens if FIFA and UEFA um, don't agree to authenticate um, a transfer that's occurring from a non-ESL uh, team to a, pot- a potential non-ESL team to a um, uh, to an ESL team, what 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 does that mean for the the transfer market in the summer? So what I mean by all of that is it's all uh, it's all 
leverage and posturing to get to the position that maybe no one wants to get to or everyone wants to get to. So the ESL actually happens or it absolutely doesn't happen because everybody knows that they're too much entwined. And by, you know, 22 minutes in and three clubs possibly um, um, pulling out, that's been, you know, a pretty quick, um, um, a pretty quick exemplar of that exact proposition, I guess. Yeah, exactly. I, I think I think the point around um, everything being entwined is so right. Um, you know, a, a lot of people have said, well, you know, it, are the players really going to go for it if they're going to be expelled from the World Cup and Euros, which is still, you know, very much the most, um, you know, the, I'm, I'm sure I'd be very surprised if the World Cup isn't the most watched um, football event. And, you know, the question is, are players going to go for it if they're banned from it? But the other side of the coin is, well, will FIFA really ban players from it? Because if those top players aren't in, um, you know, if, if a Ronaldo, Messi, whoever else aren't in a World Cup, then I can guarantee you the World Cup's not going to be anywhere near as watched. Um, there was a good, you know, there's been a couple of graphics that have shown, you know, what, what the England squad would look like without players from, from the top six clubs. And I'm sure it still be the same, you know, even after excluding um, or including Chelsea and Man City again. So there's this kind of game of chicken going on where, you know, one party will say that they'll they'll threaten with one thing, another party will say they'll threaten with the other. But they both, as you say, they both need each other. Um, you know, the, the Premier League clubs don't, the, the other 14, as it were, don't want to kick out the, the top clubs because it would really be cutting off your nose to spite your face. They know the value that those clubs bring. Um, and they know that they, um, you know, that, that they'll need to keep them in the league and they can't just kick them out. Um, lest they devalue the competition. And similarly, the, the big six clubs know that they need the smaller clubs for developing the talent and for um, you know creating narrative throughout the season. And, and a lot of the work that we've done um, in in our analysis to look at you know the sporting impact, uh, sorry, the commercial impact of, of sporting factors such as relegation. And it's clear that fans place a significant premium on relegation battles. Fans are way more likely to watch a game if it's got. Um, if it's got relegation running on it, then they otherwise would. And clearly with the Super League, that's going to be one aspect that it might exist, but it will exist in a kind of um, distorted way with, with not, you know, the permanent members not being relegated. So it's very, it's very messy. And part of me could almost see us ending very squarely back at the status quo because there's so much, there's almost like a sense of inertia with, with the way you know, with, with these clubs very kind of playing poker and, and not not really willing to see ground, but also completely willing to see ground at the same time, if, if that makes sense. It totally does. And I, I wondered whether then, and obviously, you know, f- please, everyone on, on our Clubhouse chat, um, feel free to raise hand, ask particular questions as we go. But I wonder, Omar, if we can actually take it back to those first principles that we probably discussed on another Dan and Omar show where we were talking about another iteration of um, European Super League, possibly FIFA getting more involved potentially um, in some type of club competition. But, you know, going back to the root of what it looked like, what it sounded like, especially, I'm not sure, I'm sure you probably saw Neville and and Carragher on Monday night um, talking very passionately um, and with a lot of um, sense actually on, on this issue that at its root, it seems like the actual issue is um, this relegation and uncertainty of outcome mixed with 
um, merit and and, um, pyramid structure of European football. In effect, that granted UEFA is seen as the guardian of the game to a degree, but there's plenty that think maybe it hasn't done the greatest job from a regulatory and commercial perspective. That if in effect these clubs would have um, organised in a slightly different way, um, said we're going to keep this uncertainty, everybody has to qualify every year, we actually think we can commercialise a lot better and we're going to distribute um, two or three times the amount that otherwise um, UEFA, uh, UEFA has done, that feels like it's a very different narrative. I'm just wondering your take on that as a fundamental idea. Yeah, I, I think, yeah, I, I agree on that. I think it, it would be a very, um, it, it would reframe the conversation in a much more kind of, yeah, it, it clearly in, the, in a different way. I, I wanted to get, because um, we've got a raised hand, so I wanted to add um, Duncan to the stage, which I'm doing for the first time on Clubhouse. There we go. Uh, Duncan, did you, have, did you have a question for us? Hi. Um, one thing I've been wondering, especially since uh, this news about Chelsea has come out, that they're preparing paperwork to seek withdrawal, is whether they can just pull out. There's, you know, we know that they've signed contracts of some kind, talk of, you know, 23-year contracts. I assume we don't know, you know, exactly what's in them, but what would you expect the mechanism for pulling out is i wonder if they probably they probably can't technically pull out but they just hope that the dominoes fall and eventually you know perez and the rest concede defeat dan i suspect that's one for you yeah i mean who knows what the the legal documentation say but it was reported that um all that was signed was uh, what's called a letter of intent and that letter of intent is a relatively um usually relatively non-binding um, which means that you need to be able to do things in particular uh, in a particular way but usually unless there is something quite substantive and binding signed um, it's uh, not necessarily um, the most stringent of um, agreements now uh, LOIs are usually to be able to put across the, the idea go into detail and then get as many people signed up as quickly with the caveat that no don't worry this isn't binding but you need to sign up to this so you're signed up to the idea of promoting and then putting yourself out there um, on the basis that this is then going to be signed a more substantive doc is going to be signed at a later time so um, I'm not entirely sure but usually LOIs from my perspective um, tend not to be binding and are more instructive in nature. Yeah, it's, it's kind of fascinating because in many ways the Super League doesn't exist, right? It's it's like a, it's just a, it's just a piece of paper at this point in time. It's not actually a competition. Yeah, as I was saying, I think it's all just kind of on paper in many ways. And so, you know, I, um, it almost, and you, you'll know much better than me from a legal perspective, but it almost feels like there's nothing to, there's no wall to, bump up against at the moment because they're just talking about these things and maybe they've got some some memorandums and so on signed but there's no there's no kind of body i suppose you can you can challenge or is or is that a misrepresentation um who knows is the truth um yep. Uh, I'm just reading as well. I'm not sure if you've just seen as well, um, Omar, that Laporta has said um, Barcelona will not join a Super League until our members vote for it. It's their club, so it's their decision, which um, sounds like we're, we're, we're uh, down to... I'm, I'm, I've lost track of what's happened in the last half an hour is the truth. <laughs> yeah, so we'll be, we'll be... This time next week, we'll be chatting about that thing. Do, do, you remember the, do you remember the European Super League? Do you remember that? 
um, it, it really is um, seems to be collapsing. And I think I think what we will be discussing next week, at the very at the very least, will be the kind of ramifications. Um, clearly, you know, it feels like at a relationship level, there's going to be huge distrust now of of all the different parties of each other. Um, but I, there's still going to have to be concessions because there's still a, a deep, deep unhappiness with the status quo. So perhaps not just next week, but I suspect over the over the coming weeks, we'll um, we'll dig into uh, what all the what all the options, what all the different levers that these clubs can pull in order to get what they want, whilst also you know keeping everyone else happy, which which has obviously proved to be pretty difficult so far. Because I think, yeah, Omar, just on on that last point, I mean that that's the fascinating area of all of this, which is, you know, structurally, what has happened is the clubs have. Um, circumvented UEFA in order to be able to put forward a credible alternative, which I presume in their minds they thought they would be able to um, t- take on, but at the very least to be able to use as a a batner a best alternative to negotiated agreement um, to leverage a stronger position. So whether that, as you said, now becomes um, you know, greater say over commercial rights or otherwise, or whether it simply emboldens now Seraphin to um, start again with a new set of executives um, across the ECA and, uh, and, and Exco, because it would feel like a lot of the, you know, if it's Woodward or Seraphin and, and others, and Agnelli especially, um, have, have, have burned quite a lot of bridges in what looks like to be um, you know, uh, somewhat politically, um, I say not say mismanaged move, but obviously it looks like things are um, uh, um, falling apart before before their eyes right now. Yeah, absolutely. Um, no, it's, it's. I mean, we were discussing before the show. Um, you know, kind of fascinating. It's it's sort of like a. It's intellectually, I think, quite interesting as kind of as fans. I think. The vast majority, both of us, like like the vast majority, uh, instinctively against it. But I think intellectually, it's been kind of a fascinating week to see how things are unfolded, and um, and we'll certainly be back. I think we'll have the same same topic next week to to discuss. No, it's great. So yeah, we're at the uh, we're at the thirty minute mark, or just a little bit over. But um, yeah, thank you everyone for for joining us. Um, I think if we stayed on another half an hour, maybe the rest of the clubs might have left by then. So maybe we should we should cut this as short as we can, Omar. Absolutely. Yeah. If you if you uh, if you had to let's let's have a little little bet next this time next week, where do you think the Super League will be at? Well. Uh... If if uh, my Twitter feed is anything uh, like it uh, potentially um, is in reality, then it, it looks like it's uh, more or less done and dusted, um, which then leaves the interesting question of where the leverage and the power lies with um, the, a negotiation, a renegotiation that has to take place. And more so than that, who actually does that negotiation with UEFA? Um, is in truth, is it those same people that have um, sidelined UEFA and have burned quite a lot of bridges, um, or are the new uh, members of the ECA um, representing different clubs perhaps going to going to take the lead? Because obviously, then it looks like that um, you know the UEFA Swiss model, perhaps maybe that changes to a degree even now, um, is the one that um, is going to um, is going to come into force sooner rather than later. 
yeah, so we'll, we'll see what, where the where the conversations go. Yeah, don't wait, wait, wait. What do you think? I've I put my neck on the line. <laughs> what, what do I think? I think uh, yes. I think by by Thursday, um, the plans will be on hold, um, and I think by Tuesday next week, they will be sitting around a table at uh, somewhere in uh, somewhere in uh, in Switzerland, in Neon, in Switzerland, and. I think UEFA will be in a pretty strong position by that stage. Let's wait and see. But, um, yep. Oh, Mark, great to chat as always, mate. And you. All right. Take care, everybody. Catch you next week. Thanks. Thanks for listening. You can follow me on Twitter, TikTok and Instagram at Football Law. Read my blogs and listen to my previous podcasts via my website, danielg.com forward slash blogs. Please do subscribe to the Dundee Football Podcast, like, share and tag me. If you like the content, if not my voice, you'll probably also like my book Dundee, an insider's guide to football contracts, multi-million pound transfers and Premier League big business. A bit of a mouthful. It's available to buy in hard copy, digitally and via Audible. All links are in the podcast show notes. Lastly, the podcast is powered by 13 which is a fashion brand I've started. All proceeds go towards cancer charity research, and particularly the stellar work done by John Krell, who has helped my mum through some difficult times over the last few years. You can take a look at the merch and hopefully buy a t-shirt, hoodie, cap, or all three. Please do spread the word and go to 13shop.co.uk. That's 13shop.co.uk. Thanks for listening.